Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Location Matters. I'm Sarah Butler, and today we welcome Muka Apiti, Director of Digital Navigators, GIS Consultancy for Iwi, Hapu and Fano in New Zealand, as well as Managing Director of Winyama, Naluma Man from the Pilbara, Andrew Dowding. Andrew and Muka are not only passionate about GIS, but also about increasing capacity in their communities and country through digital skills to help manage their Indigenous lands, languages and assets in response to environmental, cultural and resource demands. In the spirit of Australia's NAIDOC week, we are honoured to have both Muka and Andrew here on the podcast to discuss their respective Indigenous mapping workshops and what this impact has had on their communities. The first Indigenous mapping workshop was founded six years ago in Canada by Steve DeRoy from the Firelight Group. The workshop has since developed to include other countries such as New Zealand, Australia, Peru and Guatemala. The Australian workshop aims to provide culturally appropriate geospatial learning and capacity building for those working in Indigenous leadership, agencies and communities. MUCA has been running the Indigenous Mapping Workshop in New Zealand for the past four years and played a part in helping Andrew bring it here to Australia alongside Google Earth Outreach and their team last year. Winyama is hosting the Indigenous Mapping Workshop here in Perth from the 16th to the 18th of July, which is next week. But I want to get started just talking about both of your backgrounds in GIS and mapping, MUCA and Andrew. I'll start with you, MUCA. How did you get started in GIS and mapping? I started university in 1993. Uh, I was the first one from my tribe to get to university. And while in my first semester, the elders from the tribe actually changed my course. They had seen, seen a presentation in GIS, and so they invited me to a meeting, and they changed my course. And that was in 1993. And then from then, I went on, did an honours degree at, at university, learned on Arkansas workstations, then went into work for Critchlow Associates, who were the leading desktop mapping firm in Australasia at the time, 1995-96, and learned programming, data entry, data warehousing, data analytics, GIS development. From there, for the last two decades, I've been working with Indigenous communities, primarily Māori communities, and that was around treaty settlement. And then for the last 10 years, I've been involved with what we call those who've gone through treaty settlements are now looking at the education programs, economic development, environmental monitoring, land utilisation, cultural preservation, um, and using GIS primarily in those spaces. So my background has been in ArcGIS, then in MapInfo, back into uh, ESRI products, and since 2013 have been involved with the Google Earth Outreach. I should have also mentioned to our listeners that MOOC is actually joining us right now via a conference call from Wellington, but you know you are coming to Perth next week, so we're super excited to have you here. Awesome. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Andrew, how did you get started in GIS and mapping? I actually studied anthropology at Sydney Uni, and then after that went up to my homelands up in the Pilbara and started working for a native title organisation, the Nalama Aboriginal Corporation. And we basically started to use Google Earth to start to map some of the native title issues that we were having, like with negotiations with mining companies and a whole range of sort of land management groups. And yeah, so we started to use Google Earth as like the first platform that we, uh, the native title organisation used, and I really started from there. It's a hard one, eh? It's a, yeah. it's a hard one to go because, like, like you said, in 2013, but you got the calling from your elders, that'll be about yeah. right, eh, Andrew? Yeah, that's right. 
and, and when I had to go and talk to elders, it'd be like, you know, what's GIS? Yeah. And and I went back to the uh, the elders would go, well, actually, you're talking about land. And we'd say, fuck up, it's just genealogy. And then they'd yeah. go, oh, it's genealogy about the land. And, you know, and then it extended from there. So it really started with using platforms like Google Earth to visualise people's knowledge of country. And really, that's where I got interested in, in GIS and mapping. Great. So I want to talk to both of you a little bit about the Indigenous Mapping Workshop and how it got started down here in the Southern Hemisphere, because we've already acknowledged that it started in Canada with Steve DeRoy. The Australian Workshop's now about to have its second instance, which is next week. But Muka, yours is actually a bit more well-established than that. How did it get across to New Zealand in the first place? We've been running like Māori GIS conferences since 2008 and Rayleigh came across to one of our workshops in 2013 and then we ran a really big, just a Google-specific one in 2014. But it wasn't until I got invited by Steve to Vancouver to the Musqueam Nation and uh, as a Google Earth Outreach trainer. And while I was there, I was privileged to deliver training at the IMW. What I saw was the potential of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop as a tool to empower local communities and forge relationships directly with the vendors. So for me, it was about empowering our communities to have the direct relationship with them and ability within our community as opposed to a conference. So I was really excited what, what Steve was doing and the Firelight Group in Canada and I thought okay just on a whim at the end of this conference I said look you're invited across to New Zealand I want to take this whole model and idea and we'll change it we'll tweak it to you know to fit New Zealand circumstances but you know let's do it here and then we you know we've been running it as you say for the last few years. And Andrew how did you eventually get involved with the Indigenous Mapping Workshops? Yeah I got asked to come down for a Geo for Good conference in Sydney by Google And at that conference, got to see some of the other different NGOs and Indigenous groups that that came to the conference who were using Google Earth. And it really stemmed from that conference, like the idea that we could potentially run something in Australia. I met Raleigh and Mocha actually at the Geo for Good in 20... What was it? 2014, was it? Yeah, 2014. Yeah, and really... I met Raleigh Seamster at that at that group and she sort of took a look at the work that we were doing up in the Pilbara and thought it was quite an interesting use of Google Earth and basically asked us to keep in touch and to apply for some grants from Google Earth Outreach and as we rolled out the work doing those grants, we kept in touch with Raleigh basically and she was really the glue that connected me to the IMW a few years after that. But it wasn't until early last year where Raleigh contacted me and said would you like to be the Australian partner for an Indigenous mapping workshop in Australia and I got to know Mocha and Steve a little bit more and understand what they were doing and definitely thought it it would work in Australia. So yeah we ran the pilot last year and we ended up with 70 Aboriginal groups coming and I thought it was a great event and that's why we've we've delved into 2019 as another Indigenous mapping workshop. And you've had a lot of good response to that as well because you're beyond 70 participants now right for this year yeah we've got 97 responses uh, to the workshop so yeah we're definitely hitting the 100 mark and that was where we kind of thought we'd like to be and yeah we're really excited about delivering for this year so you mentioned briefly there Andrew Geo for Good as one of the the other sort of mapping workshops that you've attended and you've got Geo for Good, the likes of Phosphagy as well, and they've got their sort of Southern Hemisphere equivalents of that. What do you guys see as being the main difference between a more mainstream mapping workshop like the ones I just mentioned and, and what you guys are doing at the Indigenous Mapping Workshop? Muka, do you want to answer that first? 
I haven't been to the Fospo G, but I have, I've been to a number of GF for good. Um, primarily, uh, the Indigenous mapping we've shot, the, the experience is all based around being Indigenous first, technology second. For us, it's about the integration of digital geospatial technology within an Indigenous setting that makes the difference. For example, we call ours the Indigenous mapping Wānanga, not a workshop, because in Māori, uh, Wānanga is a place of learning. It's a place where we come together to participate and engage in a culturally safe environment. So we're trying to, when you're talking about a, a geo for good, there's multiple different cultures and people. But when we're talking about an Indigenous mapping workshop, it's in a place where other Indigenous communities can sit and we can talk and we can share and we can share stories about similar ideas. For the Māori environment that we've done is, you know, we do pre-services in the morning at night. We structure it around the learning and terminologies that's safe, that we know about, that how we identify. So in terms of an Indigenous mapping workshop, it's about that local community setting, trying to create an Indigenous setting for which the participants are more familiar with in order for them to learn a safe environment. So training uh, for us in New Zealand is, is primarily delivered by Indigenous trainers. We're trying to embed a lot of Indigenous values and knowledge systems and trying to focus around examples that, you know, environmental monitoring, you're talking about cultural revitalisation, sustainable practices, all things which we all as Indigenous communities relate to quite well. And then as we're doing that, then we're layering it over the top, talking about, you know, mapping and Google Earth or Mapbox or uh, Esri products. And at the end of the day, those are just different platforms. And the power is really about the content, which is about the Indigenous community. And is that how is that how you feel as well, Andrew? Yeah, like it's really about the practices that people are undertaking, the kind of work that Aboriginal communities are doing. We try to cater to the types of mapping that they're doing. So like Mocha said, there's a lot of environmental management, land management, mapping processes, but there's also stuff like connection to country and Aboriginal language mapping. So there's a whole range of different types of mapping processes that the Phosphor-G or Geo4Good conferences just don't cover and one of the really like interesting things we're covering in this workshop is even just iconography the mapping icons that we're making for the for the workshop so for instance you've got you know just the normal google maps icons which show a knife and fork or a movie theater or something like that those icons just don't kind of work for indigenous communities so we're kind of adapting them to like hunting or collecting bush foods. So we're making icons for those kinds of processes. That's why like these indigenous mapping workshops really have their own niche. There's just mapping that Aboriginal communities do that aren't just covered in the more mainstream conferences. And so when we're talking about the Indigenous groups that come to each of your respective Indigenous mapping workshops, what kind of groups come like what's the breakdown of those groups what participants are encouraged to be there at the workshop so we put the call out come to the indigenous mapping workshop and really we're led by mapping practitioners out there so i can tell you kind of the breakdown of like who's coming because we've got you know a hundred participants but it really like centers on natural resource management people so aboriginal rangers but also native title organizations are coming We've also got language centres, Aboriginal language centres and a few cultural centres as well. But then we've also got Indigenous staff inside of government departments who want to learn mapping platforms to perform their work better. We've also got quite diverse groups like Aboriginal health representatives are coming from the government. We couldn't just lump them into one category, so it's quite a challenge for the training as well, the training materials, to cover all of the different types of people. 
And Muka, do you see a sort of similar pattern? What are the groups of people that attend your workshop? We targeted towards indig- uh, like grassroots practitioners. So we were looking at ones that not the universities, not educational institutions or government departments because we took a focus around uh, they had access to professional development. They could get uh, funding. So all ours is a hapu is a, a sub-tribe. So they're your local community small practitioners working around in a lot of areas and bush ranges. Last year we had 150, the year before 150 odd, and before that we've had on average 100 plus, and all of them are local community practitioners, self-employed majority are working for the tribe, trying to look at doing a jack of all trades, and they're just trying to look at solutions around how do they visualise information, how do they retain it, how do they capture things out in the field. How can they do, as they're talking to hours, being able to catch the stories and at the same time be able to do water monitoring, do some of the cultural practices that we're looking at and be able to have it in the central depository and visualise that and, and share that with your own communities. So that's been our, our target's not been around because we, we had a lot of government departments and others that really want to be involved, but we found that if we just had kept the price low because we had to charge because we had to use a big venue, but we kind of targeted towards local practitioners, local communities. Last year we had 150. We've rolled through and just doing the email distributions out to out to people, and that's kept it. The reality is we've targeted around local communities as opposed to universities or educational institutions, primarily because we could see that our communities needed it. It was for Indigenous practitioners instead of consultants. It was for those practitioners or Indigenous communities to get in front of vendors such as Esri and Google and strike a relationship directly with them so that they had a long-term sustainable plan around where they wanted to go and how they could partner with the likes of Google, the likes of Esri and others instead of having to rely on others. No doubt, as you've both been establishing your um, Indigenous mapping workshops, both in New Zealand and Australia, you've had a pretty positive response, I would imagine, from lots of different groups of people. What are your general feelings about how you think people have received the Indigenous mapping workshop, both in New Zealand and Australia? People have been super positive about this kind of workshop. I know that the participants who've signed up for the workshop have all indicated that they have a lack of training opportunities to learn mapping skills. And so that's been one of our major pieces of feedback from groups that just said, look, this is an opportunity that we don't get often, and especially with the like broad scale of the tools, how many different mapping tools we're presenting and training on. I think that's what's surprised a lot of people, and they've said it's an opportunity to come to one spot and train on so many different types of mapping tools. In the broader sense, like outside of the participants, we've had a really massive response from sponsors and just the general organisations who we've been involved with as well. Different clients of Winyama as well have been really supportive of the kind of work that we're doing. So, And how's it been for you, Muka? Have you had a similar type of response with your workshop? It's, like you say, it's been overwhelming. I mean, being involved in mapping with the communities here for the last 20 years, you kind of saw that there was a need. And a lot of the elders that I worked with, I've just had... My uncle passed away in March, and then we had an elder, one of the ones who trained me, last week passed away, and he was instrumental, both of them, and a lot of their tribal organisation and their cultural, a lot of the knowledge that they were held. And when they passed away, you lose so much information. I suppose what we're seeing is everyone's trying to look for something to be able to retain that information, being able to, about cultural preservation. And we've just had an overwhelming response of people just been wanting to jump on. But virtually from every tribe in New Zealand last year, we had some representative that was sitting there wanting to look at mapping. 
We've kept in with the webinars and just different mail-outs to tell them what's going on, story maps, look at this. And we've been rolling those types of things to keep people engaged in the process. And we'll be getting still a lot of emails around when you're going to do it again. This year, the Māori GIS Association has decided to do one. So I said, look, we'll hold off till next year. The sponsors who have been involved, such as Google, Mapbox, Eagle, who are the distributors for ESRI, were just overwhelming in support. Difficulty that I found is around government departments. They see mapping as a map. They don't understand that actually it's a... It's a database with a whole bunch of information behind it with me talk about GIS. But our communities get it, and I think Indigenous communities get it because we we think spatially. The stories that, you know, as Andrew would say, is, is spatial. It's geospatial, and it has information that connects. So when you're talking to elders, or I know here and elsewhere, when you're talking to them, they think, you know, we talk about a, a motiatia or a chant, and a chant will take you flying around the South Pacific from Peru all the way to New Zealand. And as it's going, it swaps off, it drops off the sweet potato, dropping from place to place till it finally arrives on a small little place on the East Coast, you know, and that's a map, and that's GIS. But when we're trying to convey that to some of the government departments, they don't kind of get it. But those ones who have kind of interests around this kind of thing, such as Google, kind of get the understanding that actually it's further than just a physical, you know, static map that's actually dimensional, it's 3D, it's VR, it's AR, it's multi-reality. So um, we've had a really great response in terms of the communities that we work with and those departments or sponsors we're um, continuing to support this initiative. Do you have similar feelings to that with the uh, sort of response you've had from government departments here, Andrew? Or Yeah, I think what Mocha's saying is really relevant. I think people at government departments sometimes think of Aboriginal heritage and native title as kind of bounded in map boxes, like polygons on maps exactly what Mocha's saying, that those maps, those polygons are made up of hundreds of different types of stories, dreaming stories. There's a whole heap of land use information that people really hold inside of their communities and all of that stuff connects. And if you're a mapping person, you understand that that stuff connects in a database. But like that, that stuff is also connected all through elders down through the younger generations of Aboriginal people. So super interesting hearing Mocha speak about it. And the way he speaks about it too is fantastic. We really want to show some of that kind of passion and like Mocha's experiences in the Indigenous Mapping Workshop in Australia as well. Government departments in Australia are also recognising that there is a transformation of information happening inside of Aboriginal communities where elders might be passing on and communities are having to take that information that those elders had in the living circumstances where they've lived out on country and now the modern environment is that many Aboriginal people have to live in towns and in small communities and then they don't have the same experience that elders had. And I think that some government departments, in particular like our land departments, are sort of understanding that there is this kind of transformation of that information happening and that these kinds of workshops help smooth some of that transition and give people, younger people, the skills to kind of manage that transition in communities as well. That's a massive impact, a positive impact of the workshop. Do you both see that as being sort of one of the main positive impacts that you wanted to have from your workshop, or are there others for you? What's the good things that you want to see come out of these workshops, in addition to being able to communicate that heritage and that message of a map not being just a static thing? What else is there that's important to both of you? You know, for me, it's just a 
they're using the tools. They're, they're looking at it, and what I've had to do a lot of times, it feels like Groundhog Day. I get I get calls about helping communities that have got a consultant or someone that's come in, and they've given them a dream or given them something that's not realistic or something that's just forced out of the market, and they're disillusioned. So normally I'm coming in and say you, you can do it. It's just got to be done differently like this. And then sitting down with the communities and working them through, and all of a sudden their lights, their blinkers turn on. They say thank you very much, and you can step away. So I mean, for me, it's all about powering the community so they take ownership. They they have the capability and the capacity to move forward in any direction. So they're they're really using the tool to help. We're looking at different farming initiatives. We're looking at beehives. We're trying to do some stuff around health initiatives and where we plant our food for our kids. So healthy food and healthy living, water, and being able to the respiratory problems for some of our kids out in the in the areas that we call referefa, but they've got congestion in the chest. So what I'd love to see and what we're really seeing some really positive is the communities are actually using these tools and saying, oh, I can do this. This isn't so hard. It isn't so difficult. But we can actually use this to help our communities. An example of that is um, Wekoki Kingi and Tanya Wolfgram. They've done an initiative to go over to Tonga and they've done Mapping Tonga, which they ended up working with Google on as part of one of our IMWs. Yeah, so it's just, for me, it's just really about the opportunity to work with communities where they get the spark, the light lights up and they can say, actually, it's not as, as difficult at the beginning when they're looking at you going, whoa. And at the end of the workshop, they're going, choice. They're just really excited. They've got an idea and they want to take it home and use that idea. That's why IMW is such a good model like in Indigenous communities because it's exactly what you're saying, Mocha. It's like you want communities to be in control of their cultural heritage, their community, their language, and I think giving people mapping skills helps somewhat in that space and the workshop is really about for me like the impact is really about that empowering aspect of this training basically just taking people who are either like shy on using technology or just trying to attain some sort of result for their communities and just like pushing them along a little bit just like upskilling supportive environment for them to grasp hold of the tools that are available to them and realize their mapping goals I think the main thing for me too is that I just realise that there is a changing moment in Indigenous mapping in Australia where we've got like a really tech-savvy young group of Aboriginal people coming through. It's like a generational sort of shift. These guys have all been on YouTube and Facebook and they kind of understand digital systems and these are the kinds of people who are coming to the workshop and you put a couple of different mapping technologies in front of them and they'll be able to learn them quite quickly. I can already see that from the types of participants who've signed up. The guys who are using drones for weed mapping or they're using open source software like QGIS to to manage like their cultural heritage sites for native title organisations. And I can see that these are all young generation of people who've just picked up tools and the workshop is really about empowering them to push those tools further to professionalise their services and really support their communities on the ground. I think that's where you put a two-way address around uh, the connection between digital technology and, and still having the values around and being Indigenous. So we don't lose that and that we don't get... The digital doesn't become everything. Mm. It doesn't become the point where it overtakes our indigeneity, mm. that we still value who we are as, you know, as Indigenous people. And all we're doing is, because we've always done it since the dawn of time, is looking for a tool that we can communicate and share and be able to express 
And at this point in time, GIS and mapping is it. And I think the challenges for what I'm seeing in our space is looking at the VR, the AR, the mixed reality, and how those applications will be used. We're seeing the faster generations, but what I'm seeing is my tribe has got 65,000, my mother's tribe, 65,000 registered members, but only 10 to 15% of them live at home. So we've got a whole disconnect of community with those with the tribal elders and those who live at home. And so we're having to use these tools to engage with them. What we're losing is the translation because as they become more tech savvy, they don't actually want to come home. Mm. So how do you engage with those communities and ensure that they have still have the social responsibility of being part of that community and they still and so some of these tools are, that we're trying to do here in New Zealand is trying to ensure that their social responsibility that they still are connected to that place where they're from mm. that as they go into the world I mean I've got cousins in Spain and Canada and elsewhere that they still have an affinity to the small little place that I call Rangitukia. And yet, you know, 65,000 of Ngāti Paro are from this one place on the, on the East Coast, and yet 15% are still live there. So it's really important as we make the, the connection between the digital mm. that we don't lose ourselves in the digital and we maintain that with our indigenity. I definitely think it's a massive challenge for guys like us, Smoker, but also just in general for communities. But yeah, like I think in the Australian space, the Indigenous Mapping Workshop really helps in its model because it brings people from those really regional areas to like a central spot to learn and to interact with other people dealing with those similar issues because these communities are all dealing with them in their separate social and cultural spaces like across Australia. Stand up and do a lightning round and speak about the challenges that you have in mapping and the, the balances that you need to strike when you're mapping heritage sites with elders in a variety of different landscapes might be you know in sea country and then maybe in the desert there's different kind of cultural rules and cultural arrangements that you need to take into consideration so so yeah they're definitely challenges there's no answers to it they're definitely challenges that indigenous mapping workshop wrestles with in places like new zealand canada and and australia too so super interesting so i want to ask a quick question to you Andrew which is about NAIDOC week which is this week in Australia the theme this year is voice treaty truth how does that resonate with you on a personal level and with the work you're doing at the moment at Winyama well yeah for me those three kind of those three themes really talk to mapping really specifically because obviously when you're mapping country um, with Aboriginal people and elders, they're giving a voice to their culture, to their claim on that bit of country and their connection across you know, many, many years, many thousands of years. That's why I love mapping so much is because you get that depth of culture and heritage attached to a specific place and maps really bring that out. They really voice it in the sense that they display cultural power, cultural authority. They basically give voice to landscape and that's why I love maps so much. I guess the treaty thing is, um, I mean, speaking to Mocha is quite interesting. When we caught up in the last IMW, I kind of feel like Australia's way behind in their sense of treaty with Aboriginal people. Obviously, you had the Treaty of Waitangi in, in New Zealand, and we're really only just starting those conversations this year. Mapping really goes to the core of, I guess, treaty, and displaying your cultural ownership through maps is an important process of treaty, and I think it's a developing conversation we're having in Australia, and I think NAIDOC's pretty brave to announce that that's part of our NAIDOC theme this year. It's quite a political statement.
But in a sense, you know, the last theme of NAIDOC is about truth and the, the fact that Aboriginal people have been existing in Australia for up to sort of 100,000 years is just a simple truth. And the mapping that we do, the modern mapping that we do um, through Winyama or through the, encouraging people through the Indigenous Mapping Workshop really speaks to getting people to really speak the truth about their experiences on country, their communities' experiences in sections of landscape out there in Australia. And I think wraps up nicely in the NAIDOC theme about Aboriginal people's experience on landscape. And we're just so happy to be part of a community which looks at mapping and encouraging Aboriginal people's mapping in, in Australia. And so I want to finish off the podcast with a bit of a question for you both. I mean, we've touched a lot on the impacts of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop and positive, the connection to country that both of you feel so strongly about. I want to talk about the future. What place you see mapping holding over the next, let's say, five years? How do you see it evolving? I know, Muka, you mentioned a lot about the AR and the VR space and being able to make sure people are community first and, and digital mapping second. But where do you see things moving in, in both Australia and New Zealand? And Muka, we'll start with you. Good question. Definitely for the IMW, what works is the practical hands-on training program as opposed to a conference. So... You know, what you're learning is applied skills. Uh, I think the mapping, uh, where where I'm seeing it, or what the communities that I'm looking at or working with around a proximity locations, that's the, the wanting to see story in real time. We've got a lot of disconnects and be able to try and um, connect people more to place. So the evolution of where I'm probably thinking the mapping is going to be is going to be round about how do you actually connect them more in, in a virtual environment around the augmented environment so the this is going to be something i think will have to happen but at the same time the challenges are is we're limited because probably at least 85 percent of new zealand still has limited connectivity so how do you apply that within that kind of real space and time i think the challenges or what we're looking towards is more educational programs at the school level to bring to uplift a lot of our our kids in the space because what we're seeing is our Māori schools, our communities, a lot of them are looking at wanting to do story time and connection between place and their curriculum. So how do they use these technologies? So we're using Google Education, you know, Google VR, I mean Google Cardboard. So all these things are going to be really applied to where they are and how do we as tribes connect our communities and our kids to these story times. And then looking at applications around how do we do that. So mapping is still going to be relevant. Uh, Google Earth is going to be moving more into the web-based as opposed to the Google Pro. I think it's going to be changing over time. Voyager stories are going to be a lot more relevant. Story maps is extending the, the ability of story maps so we can look at proximity and location so people can use them as you're going around a site of significance or a place. Uh, being able to use textuals and SketchUp and be able to see something. Uh, I don't know, Andrew, this is something that we've been looking at and exploring is drawings from architects and being able to take that and bring that into into Google Earth and into Esri products and be able to say, well, this is what the, the mine will look like. like. This is what the impact of the mine will have. And this is where it's going to be positioned if you want to be, uh, if it's going to happen within this environment. So I think over the next five years, we're starting to get a lot more, trying to push a lot more engagement of those communities with the technology and trying to bring the two closer together. So I think for us in the IMW space in New Zealand, it's going to be about how do we bring our Pacific communities and widen the scope around having those communities because we're concentrated mostly on Māori communities 
and bringing those a lot more synergies around that, but keeping it primarily around the grassroots and not taking away from the focus that what we're trying to achieve is about connection between local communities with geospatial tech. Yeah, that's really similar to where we think we'll be going with IMW. I mean, I guess we're kind of community-led in that, like when we announce IMW, we see who applies and the kind of work that they're already currently doing, and we want to make sure that those kind of requirements that people are already asking for are fulfilled, and so we're keeping a base of IMW participants happy. But yeah, I would really like to extend the technologies that we already offer in IMW. I'd love to push into remote sensing and like a few other kind of location intelligence platforms. And it's sort of similar to what you're saying, Mocha, is like how do you value add to the data that people are already holding inside of different databases and add different services, different location services on top of that? And that's a big thing with us too about offline maps. I think that's another massive area which we'd love to be moving into. How do you kind of work in really remote areas without you know 4G or 3G connectivity the kinds of apps that you might have to build out to capture like community requirements there. But yeah, look, I think IMW in Australia is is young. It's only um, in its first proper year. Like we did a pilot last year. This is our first proper year as uh, Winyama running it. So we really are looking to the future. We want to we want to run this this event every year. What we don't want to do is go too big too early and like lose our community grassroots the participants that are coming. So yeah, I'm I'm really cautious about like introducing too much too early. I really want to want to concentrate on the tools that communities are, are currently using like the Esri products, Google Earth. We're introducing Mapbox this year, which not a huge amount of our communities have used before, but we're hoping to expose so some of these field collector apps like Fulcrum and ODK are something that we're really interested in and, and our participants have been really responsive on these kinds of platforms. So we're really kind of community-led in one sense, but also yeah, wanting to extend types of technologies as well. The great thing for IMW Australia is that we have relationships with IMW New Zealand and IMW Canada. So we can kind of see the way you guys have rolled out your IMWs and the trajectory that you guys have taken. And that's really useful for us to to kind of take a note for what you guys have been doing over the past five or six years. And I'm really thankful for that, actually. Really thankful for guys like Mocha and Steve DeRoy who've pushed the boundaries on Indigenous mapping and so, yeah, we're looking to you guys as well for a sense of direction and how it applies here in Australia. Okay, so that's all we've got time for today on this episode of Location Matters. We're going to be including some useful links for some of our listeners today. So if you want to know more about the Indigenous Mapping Workshop in New Zealand or in Australia, we'll be including links to the websites for those. In addition to that, we just want to remind all of our Australian listeners that it is NAIDOC week, like we've mentioned. So take your family out, go and do something, go to the NAIDOC week website, which we'll include a link for as well, and see what you can be doing to educate yourself a little bit more about Australia's Aboriginal community. Um, There's a lot of great community events happening, and you should get out there and, and learn and enjoy as a community group. Muka and Andrew, thank you so much for both being here today. We really appreciate your time. Next week is the Indigenous Mapping Workshop in Perth. So for all the people who are listening who are attending that, we are really looking forward to seeing you. And if you couldn't attend this year, don't worry about it. We've got another one coming up next year as well. So we hope to see you all there. If you want to listen to more Location Matters episodes, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify or Stitcher. <laughs> Thank you.
been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.